I wonder how you choose to celebrate with someone you love. Of course, the flavour of that celebration will depend on the context and the individual involved, but I suspect that the following ingredients will be essential. Firstly, setting some dedicated time aside for that person, clearing your diary, rearranging other commitments, perhaps even planning to switch your email off for that period. Secondly, you will no doubt plan something special for this person. We want them to feel valued and loved, so we reflect on what they would like, not the ideal celebration for ourselves. Not everyone likes a surprise party or indeed even a party. So whether it's a walk in the countryside with a picnic lunch, a gathering of favorite people, a visit to the theater or a quiet dinner for two, we give of our best for this celebration as we stop and make space for the person we love. And I wonder when we think about this, the excitement in the planning, the anticipation as the date approaches, the commitment to the other person, whatever we're feeling, whether we can honestly say that we come before God in the same way. And yet this is where I want to begin this morning in our passage from Exodus. We hear that the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. A day perhaps to celebrate all he has done for us through Jesus, all he has given us through creation and all the love, freedom and blessing he continues to bestow on us as individuals. Some churches, not so much in the Church of England, call their services a celebration. But why is it that we don't always approach our Sabbaths with this hopeful spirit of anticipation and joy. Only the other day, someone said to me, why is it that we don't dance in church? Well, maybe we can arrange that. <laughs> Not to, well, I don't know, maybe we could today. Martha, Martin Luther said this about the Sabbath. The spiritual rest, which God particularly intends in this commandment is this that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more that we let God alone work in us and that we do nothing of our own with all our powers. And uh, a 19th century clergyman called Henry Ward Beecher reminds us of the joy of keeping the Sabbath. A world without a Sabbath would be like a man without a smile, like a summer without flowers, and like a homestead without a garden, it is the joyous day of the whole week. Sabbath. As we explore now more about God's purpose for the Sabbath and how that could impact our lives today, I'd like to begin firstly by thinking about the context of the Israelites and their history as they make their journey to the promised land. And then secondly, as our understanding of the Sabbath unfolds through the life and teaching of Jesus, we will reflect then on a new depth to our understanding of the Sabbath. And through both, I hope it will become really clear that in order to keep the Sabbath holy and dedicated to God, we have to learn how to trust God for the whole of our lives.
And in doing so, we will discover a deep rest that cannot be found in the world. Sabbath. There are two Hebrew words that relate to the Sabbath, both emerging from the Genesis account of creation. First is Shabbat. God taking Shabbat on the seventh day after the work of creation was completed. Shabbat literally means to rest or to stop working. The second word is nuak, meaning to dwell or settle. After the creation of humankind, of man and woman, we read that God nuaks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Nuak is more than just stopping. It's a sp giving space to enjoy your home, your family, your friends, God's creation. It's, it's stopping the car on a journey through beautiful countryside and getting out to breathe in the air, savour the view and offer thanks. Shabbat and Nuak are meant to work together. God rested from his work and then dwells with his people with you and with me. Throughout history, God's wisdom about keeping the Sabbath has been discovered and rediscovered, as the theologian and preacher Matthew Henry says. The streams of religion run deep or shallow according, to, according as the banks of the Sabbath are kept up or neglected. The critical role of the Sabbath becomes apparent as we join Moses in the desert with the people of Israel. The Sabbath gave the Israelites time to remember God's action in their lives, his faithfulness to them as they recalled and celebrated their freedom from slavery. As we know, Moses and the Israelites spent 40 years traveling in circles in the desert. Later in Hebrews 4, which I really recommend you going away to read, it's the best passage, I think, about trust and rest. It speaks about God's rest, and we learn from Hebrews 4 that this long, drawn-out journey is in part due to their lack of trust in God. Despite all God had provided for the journey, when he commanded them to collect an extra day's worth of manna for the Sabbath so they could rest, they still couldn't resist depending on their own judgment and collecting manna on the Sabbath. And as we know, their Sabbath gatherings would end up full of maggots. So we begin to understand that the Sabbath is about trusting God, living our lives in total dependence on him, resting on the Sabbath in his sufficiency, not our own. Relational trust has always been at the heart of God's Sabbath invitation, right from the Genesis account through to the 21st century. But Israel struggled to receive it. Trusting God for ourselves and our families brings the freedom to take Sabbath rest. And as a result, within Judaism, the Sabbath is seen as a time of great joy and spiritual enrichment. Indeed, Sabbaths, as you probably know, weren't just applied to people. They were also applied to other things, to farming land. Fields were to be left fallow one year in every seven so that the soil 
could rest and the nutrients could return. Just like people, soil needs time to rest, recuperate and become fruitful again. Before we move on to beyond the law, as our series is called, and look at the New Testament teaching on the Sabbath, I'd like to pick up on one further point that remains relevant today. It is clear that when we trust God and we make intentional space to Shabbat and Nuak, this experience will be one of joy and delight. The Sabbath is also God's blessing for us. It's not about being puritanical about rules and regulations as it so quickly became, and indeed for some has remained even into the 21st century. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this, and this is Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, words then you will find your joy in the Lord. So what about the Sabbath beyond the understanding of the law in the Old Testament? As usual, Jesus turns up and radically overhauls the Jewish religious and social understanding. During the period leading up to Jesus, the Jewish leaders, as we probably already know, has turned the Sabbath from being a blessing into a burden. They had added rules and regulations, layers upon layers of them, into the understanding of work, creating 39 different categories. As an example, the following were considered to be a burden not to be literally carried on the Sabbath. Food equal in weight to a dried fig. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Milk, enough for one swallow. Honey, enough to be put upon a wound. Paper, enough to write a customs house notice. Read, enough to make a pen. Can you imagine for the moment the debates and time taken to produce these overly detailed and inaccurate interpretations of the law? rather than taking time to set aside, to rest and worship the Lord. And as we reflect on this context, it's perhaps actually helpful, and I found this helpful, to understand the Jewish scholars um, thinking behind some of these rules and regulations. As they were seeking to clarify the Sabbath commandment, they reflected back on the Maccabean period, the period 100 years before Christ, where thousands of Jews were slaughtered because they refused to defend themselves from attack on the Sabbath. So there were very many complicated reasons that led to the Sabbath rules and regulations. So it is into this rigid, legalistic, overly regulated context that Jesus begins, as we know, to challenge their understanding of Sabbath living. Jesus continued, of course, to observe the Sabbath, but was not bound by it. 
as he said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was, was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is for our benefit and blessing, not our restriction and burden. And so we see Jesus challenging the Pharisaic law by defending his disciples who pick and eat grain when they're hungry on the Sabbath. When Jesus heals the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, and then later, by the pool of Bethsaida, Jesus commands, if you remember, the man who was paralyzed to not only get up and walk, but horror of all horrors, to also carry on the Sabbath his own pallet, his own bed. Where the Sabbath has been a place of creation, it is now becoming a place of redemption. Jesus, quoting Hosea, says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. The fundamental difference between the approach of the Jewish leaders and Jesus is the movement from a precept to a principle, from a command to a guideline, from the precept outlined in the fourth commandment, thou shalt not work, to the principle given by Jesus, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It is the heart and the motivation that matter. And although we're not going to spend much time with those, that first passage in Matthew, we do see the lack of integrity and authenticity as the Jewish leaders come to worship on the Sabbath. Their ostentatious giving belying any real generosity. Their pompous praying not reflecting their heart. And their flamboyant fasting, which was as meaningless as the rules they expected others to keep. Jesus reminds us that God sees our hearts. Come and worship, give generously, pray, but do this quietly, knowing that God sees all and that it is only our audience of one that matters. And for us today, the new covenant we have in Jesus brings a new kind of Sabbath, a Sabbath which we find in Jesus Christ himself. A Sabbath which enables us to find a deeper rest and joy, not just on the day of the Sabbath, but on all days and for all times. We heard in that wonderful passage from Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a rest. What a promise. Not just rest on the Sabbath, but a deeper rest, Found when we come to Jesus himself, a truth shared by that wonderful, uh, those wonderful words by Saint Augustine, thou madest for thyself and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. I wonder if our hearts are restless this morning. And so we return to the challenge of placing our trust in Jesus without being prepared to let go and let God, to surrender control of our lives and come to Jesus just as we are, we won't receive the rest or we won't fully receive the rest and joy that is being so freely offered. Charles Swindala, 20th century evangelist said this, to enter our Sabbath rest, we must put an end to self-reliance. 
trusting in our own abilities to overcome difficulties, rise above challenges, escape tragedies, or achieve personal greatness. So where does that leave us this morning? Is there no value in a Sabbath day, a day to be kept holy? Have we moved beyond the law to living out the whole of our lives each day as a Sabbath people? Yes and no. Although God does not expect us to live by Israel's laws, the wisdom of these laws remain. Jesus kept the Sabbath, and the law of the Sabbath is rich with significance for us today. But the Sabbath is not a commandment or a precept that we are bound to. It's a promise that we're invited to enjoy. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity, to practice for eternity in God's presence. It is an act of regular and intentional trust of God's rule on earth. And when we practice this intentional pause, we make space for God to take up residence in our lives. And Jesus has given us some guiding principles by which to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But we are now not bound by the law. Our Sabbath should be life-giving, life-restoring, and life-sharing. It should be life-giving, life-restoring, and life-sharing. It may look different for each of us, but it does require us to Shabbat, to stop. And it does require us to Noach, to reconnect with our creator God, to come together, to worship, to pray, to be encouraged and challenged by God's word and enjoy being in his presence. The Sabbath is space, first and foremost, to enjoy God's gifts for us, both with the people we love, but also perhaps from time to time with those we find challenging, when sometimes we are called to share our Sabbath space. So on this Sabbath, perhaps we can go away and reflect, maybe over coffee after the service, on how we too can find Sabbath space that firstly honours God and secondly recognises that we all need time to rest and to be restored so that we can be sent out once again to be fruitful in this beautiful world that so needs God's healing and redemption. Time that recognises that we are all called to return to a place where we remember, where we remember a faithful God who created the world and then rested, and then rested, dwelling with those he loves, with you and with me. Amen.